again. You know, we've just experienced an incredible time of worship. Would you say amen to that? Just incredible. And you know, there is a double side to lots of things in life. The sermon title was Bittersweet. That, that is, that is there, there's a sensation of bitter and sweet at the same time in a food. If you're familiar with the uh, candy sweet tarts, that's the idea behind that. That there be a bitterness and a sweetness. And so it is with worship. And the clip you just saw and what you heard this morning, it shows that bittersweet thing. And here we see the crowd as Jesus comes into the uh, to Jerusalem. The crowd's shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, son of David. And yet we all know that that's not what's going to happen. And I'm sure the guys, the 12 disciples, were sitting there and this is what they'd signed up for. I mean, they had followed Jesus. They had left the fishing boats and the nets. They had followed Jesus because it was going to be a good gig for them. That they were going to, he was going to be the king and they were going to be the princess. And it was going to be great. And as they hear the crowd shouting, they said, man, there's been some bumps along the way. Jesus, our, our king, said some things that people didn't like, but it's on our side now. It's going to end okay. It's going to be great. And they were just, oh, they were ecstatic about that. And then the crowd turned against Christ. They, they saw Jesus talk about his death, his broken body in, in, the, in the upper room and, and the spilt blood. And they, they heard him say that one of them was going to deny him. They followed him to the garden and they watched as he was betrayed, as he was scourged and beaten, and as he died. And that's when it got bitter. The triumphal entry was so sweet, it's just what they wanted. But they learned that day that often what they wanted was not what God had in mind. And there's a bitter part to that. And I want to tell you that worship that is just sweet is not worship that's complete. That there must be something that dies in us when we worship that God could be glorified. Take your Bibles and go way back to the book of Ezra. Way back before the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at just a few verses this morning. And I want to help us discover what worship really should be all about. How that it's not just an emotional charge. How it's not just us as we raise our hands, as we lift our voices. That worship is designed to glorify God. But to help us initiate change in our lives. That will truly make Him Messiah, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. In Ezra, in chapter 3, in verse number 10, we read these words. When the builders have laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph, holding cymbals, took their positions to, uh, to praise the Lord as King David of Israel had instructed. Now that means absolutely nothing to you. Nothing. Because you don't know the background. Seventy years. Say seventy years. Seven decades. Seven decades before. God had sent the nation of Israel into judgment. They had been taken and exiled to Babylon. And finally, this is year like 69 and a half. And some of, the, some of the ones of exile have been allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And they get there. And they find the city of Jerusalem in ruins. A few had hung around. The poor people had hung around. But, but by and large, Jerusalem was just in ruins. The gates were burned. The wall was broken down. The temple was long destroyed. Everywhere they looked, they saw bitterness. 
They saw the destruction. They saw the end of life as they knew it. Sound familiar in your life? And then these group of people built an altar. The first thing they did, they built an altar where they could offer sacrifices. It wasn't going to be popular with those around. It wasn't going to be popular with the ones who lived there. But they wanted to build an altar because the altar represented their worship to God, their forgiveness, and His amazing grace. In a land of desolation, we need an altar to God. And then, the builders laid the foundation. For what? The temple. The temple. And that represented God's presence in their lives. So we have an altar in this land of desolation. In this land that's totally destroyed. We're in a world that totally has fallen apart. We have an altar which symbolizes sacrifice to God. God's forgiveness. And we have the foundation which symbolizes God's presence. And they wanted to worship God for that. Notice they did not say, worship God for what? Take a look at round. Don't you see the desolation? Don't you see the destruction? They were thankful for what God had done, not bitter for what God had not done. And so they want to worship Him. And they want to do it right. So they go, they, verse 10, they worship God in accordance as King David of Israel had instructed. They went back to the instructions when David was bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And they worshiped that way. It wasn't just an ordinary worship service. It was proof that the end was not the end. It was a proof that God was still God. It was proof that God is still faithful. And they want to do it right. May I propose to you today that that's what every worship here at Dorsville Baptist Church should be? That every time we... Now listen, come on now. Every time we gather... On Sunday, which, by the way, was the day after the Sunday, the two days after the, the, the uh, Friday, Good Friday, the cross was Resurrection Sunday. The reason we worship on Sunday, because that was the day that the end was not the end, but the beginning. It was the day that death was defeated forever. And we're going to celebrate that next week. We should get it right Just like they got it right. I'm telling you, worship is not coming together and singing a few songs, taking an offering, listening to some guy holler for 35 minutes and going home. Worship is our opportunity to come before holy God and say, God, we are so grateful that the end is not the end. God, we're grateful that you are faithful. God, you are a good God. How incredible this is. We must not squander any Sunday that we have together as we come together for worship. And I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 51 or not. And I'm going to keep this as short as I can. I promise you that. But there's a recipe for worship in Psalm 51. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. First off, we read these words. This is the psalm that David wrote after he had sinned with Bathsheba. Here's what his prayer is. God create a clean heart for me. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. The first step of genuine worship. God really doing something in our lives. Not just an emotional charge. But God changing us in his worship. Is creating me a clean heart. There has to come a time. When we say God this is wrong in my life. And God this is wrong in my life. And God I know this is displeasing to you. And we have to ask God to forgive us of that. And create a clean heart within us. And then he goes on and says this. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I've got awesome news. In the Old Testament, God took and gave His Holy Spirit. 
I am glad to report to you today in this wonderful age of grace that God gives us His Holy Spirit and never takes it away. Never takes it away. But listen. Listen. Our sin can grieve the Holy Spirit. And our sin can quench the Holy Spirit. And we need that clean heart so God's Holy Spirit can move in our midst and initiate change in our lives. Change that will cause the people out there to go, I want what you got. So we've got to make sure we don't quench the Holy Spirit of God. And then David writes this. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Listen, too often the world looks at what we got and they say, if that is faith in Christ, I'm not sure I want it. So many times as believers, we look like we got the flu instead of Jesus. We should be a people of joy. Listen, we should be a people of joy just like the people in that day were. Listen, things weren't perfect. They, they looked around. They saw the desolation. The walls were still torn down. The gate was still burned. The economy was in shambles. There were very few of them and a lot of the enemy. But they wanted to worship. They wanted people to know that there was a God named Yahweh. And the people of the region were going to see Yahweh through those who worshipped Him. It has not changed in the church age. We have got to be a people so filled with joy, even in the difficult circumstances. We've got to be a people filled with joy, even when it's hard. So the world out there will say, I want what you got. And it's an amazing thing. Listen, when we worship God this way, when we ask God to cleanse our heart, when we refuse to let the Holy Spirit to be quenched by our sin, when God gives us His joyful spirit... We get a willing spirit. A willing. I have seen. I've seen our church. An incredible willing spirit. That's a good place for an amen. And I'm not tooting anybody's horn. But I'm telling you. A church that will open its doors to love people. Regardless of skin color. Regardless of economic situation. Regardless for what in us is on the right path. To be in a church that God can use. When you give your kitchen away. Come on now. When you give your Sunday school class away, when you give your money away, that's the kind of church that God can use. And we may not arrive, but I think we're on the road. I think we're on the road. God, give us a joyful spirit and a willing spirit. He goes on and says this. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Hey, God. When I allow you, when I worship you, when I don't quench the Holy Spirit, when I allow you to cleanse my life, when I have a joyful spirit, when I have a willing heart, guess what, God? People are changed. People start saying, I don't buy that Baptist stuff very good, but I like what I see in you about Jesus. I see something in you that I have a feeling could change my life. And it's not our denomination, and it's not our religion, and it's not our habits, and it's not our tradition. It is the resurrected, living Son of God working out His plan through us. That's what it is. That's what it is. They wanted to get it right, and we should get it right. So we move down to verse number 11. They, in our worship now, they sang with praise and thanksgiving. You know what praise is? Praise is telling God how incredible He is. 
I like what the brother said at the beginning of the service. Now, and it's really cool. You know, we really should be about telling God how good he is, not how good we are. The cross should be preeminent in all that we do. Our king should be preeminent. We must be the moon and not the sun. Come on now. Amen. We must be the moon and not the sun. So they begin singing praise and thanksgiving to God. Now, whoa, time out. The gates are burned. The walls are down. And yet they're singing thanksgiving to God. Yeah, because that's what they say. For God is good. God is good. Listen, he's good when you got a job. He's good when you don't got a job. He says he's good when your arthritis is killing you and when it's a good day. He's, a, he's good when you go flying over the handlebars of a lawnmower. And he's good when the brakes work. He's good when that force comes through and when the sun is shining. God's goodness is not controlled by our circumstances. God is good. We've got to recognize that and live and thank you, God, that you are good. But that's not all. He goes on and says this. Your faithful love endures forever. Speaking there to Israel. But in our church of, of grace, in the grace age, talking to us. Listen. Some of y'all still ain't got it through your heads yet. That God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. Come on now. You think if you're, if you're really, really good, God just might love you. And if you mess up, whoops. He withholds his love. Uh-uh. This thing right here. This anchor of hope. This message of love from John 3.16, it forever states that God loves the world when we're having a good day and we're having a bad day. He loves us irregardless of that. Come on now, that's a good place, a really good amen. That's your anchor. You're not held by your good works. You're not held by your performance. You are held by God's amazing grace and love. The cross says it forever. The cross says it forever. So in the midst of their broken world, they say, hey, God, we want to make big of you. We want to lift you higher because you are a good God and your love endures forever. And God, we haven't seen a temple yet. But we see the foundation. See, you're not home yet. All you're seeing is part of the picture. But there really is coming a day when we get to heaven, we're going to see the big picture. Don't be discouraged with what happens in this world. Now, Jesus said, hey, I've got good news for you. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. And right now, in your world, you may only see the foundation, but the building's coming. And it's not an if so, maybe, what if, if it happens, it happens. There's a building coming. If you'll put your faith and trust. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here comes that bittersweet thing that we are introduced with. Look what happens. The Bible says in verse number 12. But many of the older priests, the Levites, and the family leaders who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this house. And yet many others shouted joyfully. There it is, the bittersweet. 
There was a group of priests and Levites and, and senior leaders in the tribe in the tribe there in the nation of Israel who, when they saw the foundation, they wept. I wish I could tell you it was tears of joy. But everything I read, it is not. You see, they had seen the former temple. Some of these young guys had. They had seen the formal former temple and its grandeur. I mean, many say the Temple of Solomon was the greatest building ever built of that period. They saw that. They saw what a massive gold arnet structure it was. And when they saw that foundation, how small, how plain, how insignificant, how puny, they wept. They wept. They didn't see that God was doing a new thing. They longed for the old thing. This is not a message about changing the church today. Don't even go there because that's not what it's about. But what it is about is this. Some of you sitting here today long for what used to be. Some of you long today for days that are gone. For circumstances that are gone. And some of you even may hold bitterness in your heart against God because, God, you haven't done what you did before. I tell you, as your pastor today, and I think God's word shouts to us, let the past be the past. Look what God is doing today in your life. Look around in your world and see what your God is doing in your life today. The relationships that are building, the relationships are being healed, your children, the way they're working now. Let God be God in your present and let the past go. Here's what Paul said about that. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He goes, I've not arrived. He said, you know, I'm not saying I know it all. He says... But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had baggage. He probably, well, he certainly had Christians put in jail. And most theologians believe probably had them executed. You think you've got baggage? He's got the whole set. And he'd allowed his past failures, his past... You know what? Paul was a whole lot more popular when he was on the Sanhedrin. You talking about friends in high power? He had friends in high power. He ain't got no friends besides God in high power now. He had a whole lot more money when he was on the Sanhedrin. He's a poor man now. But he says this. You know what? I'm going to let that past go. The world's perceived successes and my failures. I'm going to let that go. Instead, I'm going to reach forward to what God has for me. In our worship, that's what I'm challenging us to do. It's wonderful we come and our hearts are just like about to burst with joy. But in the midst of that wonderful worship, I want to challenge us. Say, God, what do you want to do in my life? See, the disciples, dreams had to die. Their dream of being princes and Jesus being an earthly kingdom had to die. 
They didn't understand it. But before there could be an Easter morning, there had to be a Good Friday. As we join in worship each Sunday, not just today, not just this Holy Week, not just next Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, every time we worship God, it may be here, it may be out building roofs in Largent Street, because Paul wrote and said it's our reasonable service, our spiritual worship, worship when we go out the door. It might be in our private closet. But we need to have the bittersweet experience. The bitterness... Of saying no to something. You know, young people, you'll probably reach a time in your life when you have an aspiration to do something, but God may close that door. But it's more than a cute saying. When God closes that door, He may open another one. Come on, amen? When God closes the door, He might open that. We need to have that bitter experience saying, God, what needs to die in my dreams so your dream could be fulfilled? God, God what has... What has to die in my planning book? So your planning book. Do you remember the building you're sitting in? We had our own temple plans. I think I saw them in a closet somewhere. Woo, was it going to be great? And God slammed the door. It wasn't a little change. You know, steel went out the roof. Our architect said, I won't take you down a road that you can't afford. Well, he must have thought we won the lottery. God closed that door and gave us this building. It's not the fanciest worship center in town, but we had about 45 people sleeping here last night. And unless they'd used the baptistry in the new building, they wouldn't have taken a shower. But we have four showers. We have a kitchen over here that the Golden Circle can use to feed 100 senior adults a day. A day. A day. And you know what? We didn't move to Highway 45 or 13. We decided to stay right here next to Largest Street for a day on February 29th when God could use us to reach out and touch the lost there. I'm telling you. Listen. Some plans had to die. But we have lived to see the fruition of what God had in mind. It's true corporately and it's true privately. But you've got to be willing. For the boys that came Easter morning, when, when, when the girls came back and said, you're not going to believe this, but there's no body. And Peter and John ran to that grave. And it was open. And, and he was gone. And he appeared and he resurrected. We'll see the sweet if we'll just let the bitter go. I want to challenge you that today. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, surrender. God, my plans, my dreams, my aspirations. I lay those down, Father. In fact, you know that altar we talked about, God? I'll put those things on that altar. And God, I'll trust you with it. And God, I may never, I may die and never see the building. I may just see the foundation. I might just see the beginning of a legacy. But God, I will trust you. Because God, you are good. Say, you are good. And God, your love is always faithful. Would you bow your heads right there, please? As I look around and see what God is doing in the churches of Harrisburg, 
And I have the privilege of pastoring this church. But as I see what God is doing in our church, how exciting it is. And I want you to look at that. And I said, we've not arrived. We heard that last week. We need revival so desperately. But as you look at that, how about your life? Now, first off, this. Perhaps you're here today and you're here at the invitation of a guest. And you're looking for something. Have you ever... What's a sermon without food illustration? Have you gone to the kitchen before and just grazed and tasted and that wasn't it and that wasn't it and that wasn't it? And finally you get it. You've gone through life. And you tried the, the drug scene. You tried alcohol. You tried sports. You tried popularity. You tried power. You tried prestige. You tried church. You tried a particular domination. You tried starting this and stopping that. And in the end, that same empty feeling comes back. Friend, you're not looking for a religion. You're not looking for a momentary happiness or release or escape. You're looking for Jesus. And this morning, that's our invitation, our first invitation to you. I will not ever sell you the Baptist church, the Baptist faith. But I'd love to introduce you today, my best friend, Jesus Christ. My friend Brent will be standing down front. If you're looking for something, you know there's an emptiness in your life. I'm going to have everybody bow their heads in just a moment uh, when, when we stand. And take Brent by the hand and say, Brent, I want to know what this thing is that satisfies. I, I do sense something here. The person I was sitting next to, I felt something. And we'll be glad to tell you what the Bible, God's Word says about having a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And today I want to ask you this. Today we've experienced Palm Sunday. Today we've experienced Hosanna. But what needs to die? As we approach Good Friday, as we approach the cross, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Is there something in your life that you know, a, a dream, an aspiration, a plan that needs to die? I want to ask you to put down the altar today of your life. And say, God, it's bittersweet. As I lay this thing down, there's a certain urge to hang on to it. And that's the bitter part. But God, I know if I'll trust you, if I'll believe you, there'll be a sweetness in the end. Thanks, God, for the incredible worship we had today. Thank you for this incredible word of yours. Father, I thank you that you let Ezra to record this some 400 years before Good Friday. And God, as they saw the world, we see ours. As they saw the brokenness, we see the brokenness. But as you are good then and faithful, you are good and faithful now. Help us respond now to your word. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.